everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Big announcements this week from a number of major tech companies. We're full into the product announcement cycle. We had our second event from Apple, and we'll start there. number of uh, new MacBook Pros have been launched in 14-inch uh, and 16-inch varieties, and including and using their new M1 chip. Ross, you had talked in previous episodes that uh, this event was, was surely forthcoming because we hadn't had any Mac events or Mac announcements at the last event, at the, the iPhone event. And, uh, and sure enough, that's what we got this week. But we also had a, a lot of other announcements as well. Uh, we've got a, a new music service option. We've got uh, a new um, HomePod Mini. We've got some new AirPods. Well, why don't we start with a, a little deeper dive in the, the MacBook uh, and MacBook Pros. So Apple is uh, really humming along in terms of this uh, transition to its own Apple Silicon. Uh, we were talking a little bit before the uh, before we started recording about how they've uh, they've still got a, an Intel-based iMac that they're offering, and they still have an Intel-based Mac Pro, uh, where they haven't released a uh, an Apple Silicon version yet. Uh, however, uh, other than that, uh, just about all their other Macs have uh, made the transition. Uh, and uh, as I predicted, as uh, much as they did with the Intel transition, I, I think they're going to finish uh, ahead of schedule or you know certainly right on schedule in terms of uh, their two-year window for moving over to the silicon and we really the big story was this these new iterations of their silicon they focused a lot on that uh, and the the advances that they have made in performance per watt uh, so they introduced the m1 pro chip and the m1 max chip uh, and talked about how they could deliver performance uh, competitive with uh, the highest performance uh, PC laptops that had discrete graphics from NVIDIA or, uh, or, or AMD uh, at a fraction of the power consumption. And so not only does that allow creative pros to have more flexibility in terms of where they work, but it allows them to have that degree of graphic acceleration even on battery power, because with a lot of these high-end PC laptops, yes, they can deliver that incredible graphics performance, but only when they're plugged in, because if they were to try to drive the machine at that level on battery power, you know, the battery would die uh, in, in a very short amount of time. So, so that's really the pitch uh, on these, uh, these new uh, chips. And uh, it was filled with more uh, multiplier, more talk about multipliers than, uh, than you, you, you've heard, you know, outside of maybe a pinball machine, you know, 5x this, 4x that, 13x this, you know, just on and on. It was a big part of the... Uh, the discussion and uh, and so you know they upgraded some other things too in, in these new models. Uh, obviously, new screen sizes. They uh, they brought back some connectors that they had dropped 
uh, in, in the last iteration. Uh, they also brought back the function keys. So the, uh, the touch bar is dead. I don't think many people will be, will be mourning its uh, disappearance. Uh, and, uh, and yes, just a, a focus exclusively on creative pros. I, I think it was, you know, if you think about, say, the iPad Pro or the iPhone Pro, uh, this was the one where there was the least crossover in, into the consumer market uh, because Apple, you know, for, for something with this level of performance in the PC market, you might come out with a model or build an argument about high-end gaming. Uh, but that's not really as much of a factor on on the Mac, and so the focus was was really about these um, uh, these creative apps, you know, the premieres, the Cinema 4Ds, the the 3D graphics apps, and the pitch is compelling. You know, here it's going to save you time and therefore money, and and buy you more flexibility in terms of how you can iterate using the uh, the enhanced horsepower there. So uh, that was, uh, you know, that, that was really the story on, on these, uh, these MacBook Pros. And I think it teased them up uh, to really come at the last model that they haven't touched yet, which is the Mac Pro, the highest end of their highest end. Uh, and you can be sure that it will be stuffed with M1 Pros. Uh, so they've, uh, they've sort of, you know, uh, made, made that argument. Yeah, and at the same time, it looks like Apple is not uh, able to completely avoid the supply shortages that uh, is engulfing almost every industry, and uh, you know many of the uh, of these things will uh, be in short supply probably for many months uh, as they as they try to fulfill uh, those uh, orders. In other announcements, we also got, uh, as I noted, the uh, announcement about a. Uh, new music plan called the Apple Music Voice Plan. It's a uh, essentially cheaper, less expensive tier, costing just $5 a month, really designed for the um, uh, casual music listener. And uh, I wonder if we'll start to see more of these type of services. We've talked for some time on the podcast about uh, subscription fatigue and how many subscriptions can households really uh, sustain over a long period of time. And so you do see uh, companies like this example from Apple trying to bifurcate the market somewhat, offering uh, different priced plans, ultimately you know, doing whatever good economists would tell them to do. And that's price discriminate as, as much as they can and figure out you know, what the willingness to pay is. And um, it, you know, here they're trying to to separate casual, perhaps users at, at a lower price point, uh, and and bring them into the fold, but not giving them all the bells and whistles of a of a full subscription. I have to say, it looks pretty compelling uh, to offer a service at half the price. They still have to compete with Spotify, which offers a free tier. But this allows them to provide access to the entire catalog of Apple Music, uh, over 60 million songs. Uh, they, in, in addition to introducing this price tier, they also introduced or announced that they had created a whole new set of playlists to accommodate any uh, kind of mood or situation you, you might want. Uh, that can be activated with Siri, uh, hence the focus on the 
the uh, the playlist uh, functionality and the Siri functionality. Uh, but the one of the limitations of the new plan is that you can't create your own playlists. Uh, and this, to me, wouldn't seem to have any implication on their licensing terms with the with the labels. But uh, as you know, Sean, I, I think it's just way, one way to kind of cut the functionality and preserve some of the benefits of the full-priced tier, which also includes the um, uh, higher resolution music, higher fidelity sound, and uh, spatial audio. But uh, for... I would say more than a casual listener, I would say, you know, th this is 90% of what these services looked like only about two, three years ago. And of course they attracted tens of millions of, of users. So, uh, you know, it, it seems like a, a pretty compelling uh, offering to me. I, I think uh, this will kind of be the, the default plan that, that most people opt for moving forward. There is a lot of competition in subscription services generally, but certainly in music subscription services, there's a lot of competition and there's probably where it's, more difficult, where it's more difficult to differentiate also. Yeah. 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 You're, you're essentially trading in a, uh, in a commoditized good, meaning it's available across the platforms. And that's why you've seen companies like Spotify really move into a uh, podcast. And earlier this year, we saw Spotify introduce its own hardware to try to uh, create a more direct connection and direct relationship with the uh, consumer. So I think you, you know, you've got a lot of competition here and uh, there's probably a desire to try to kind of lock your, your customers in. I think there's also a desire from Apple to have people using Siri more, uh, more heavily. And we Great saw um, yep. uh, announcements around the HomePod mini, a category that uh, I, I think from the get-go, Apple has uh, somewhat faltered on. The Mini was uh, addressing some of those early faults and trying to create a, a premium speaker experience when a lot of consumers didn't necessarily want a premium speaker experience. And now they feel like they're probably behind some of the leaders in digital assistant technologies, namely Google, who that's putting it almost everywhere. And so, um, you know, it, you... Uh, end up uh, trying to trying to drive it into more rooms and more places and, and increase uh, user adoption and, and use. The other announcement we saw coming out of Apple was uh, new AirPods. What do you think, Ross? Should you go out and get a new uh, pair of, of AirPods now? Well, probably not if you're, uh, if, if you're an existing customer of the AirPods. Uh, again, uh, just like we've kind of spoke uh, on this um, this new music tier and kind of how they also did on the MacBooks in that they left the old MacBook uh, 13 inch in the lineup. Uh, Apple has kind of split the difference here. So uh, these new AirPods offer the spatial audio features and the uh, wireless charging of the AirPods Pro, uh, but don't include their signature feature, which is the noise cancellation. So. Uh, some good price stratification there. Uh, AirPods, original last generation AirPods, stay in the lineup at 129. I think a lot of people will be satisfied with that experience. Uh, these come in at 179, uh, and uh, the AirPods Pro remain at, at 249. So, you know, 249, you're really getting at, at the very high end of the market. 
this is good for people who want a little bit more of a premium, maybe even arguably a comfort advantage, but, uh, you know, but, but don't really care very much about the noise cancellation. So in terms of the form factor, they look a little bit more like the AirPods Pro. So if, uh, if that is important to you, I, I guess that's another option. <laughs> Yeah, about people dating you based upon uh, your sure. technology. Show me, I, show I, me your AirPods case. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. funny because I use the kind of Gen One regular AirPods, AirPods, not the noise canceling AirPods, primarily because I didn't like the fit uh, and didn't feel like I needed noise cancellation. And sometimes I don't want noise cancellation when I'm uh, using AirPods, but I have had people call me out for using old technology. So, uh, maybe I need to make the switch, the upgrade. Uh, you can, you can go right back at them and ask them why they don't have the, uh, $500, you know, Apple hi-fi headphones that, uh, that represent the top of the line. So. Yeah. Well, what I will ask them is, do they have the Apple cleaning cloth at the $19? We saw Apple introduce a, a new premium cleaning cloth we'll see mm -hmm. uh, i'm sure you will see it in use in a number of places people constantly point it out to clean their phones their macs and <laughs> and everything else uh, the other big announcement from the week of course comes from uh, google and they announced their uh, new pixel phone along with a, a, num a number of other things the pixel 6 I think you could argue marks a, a pretty significant introduction from Google. It is the uh, first phone that they have used with a, a custom design system on a chip, SOC, and uh, called uh, the Tensor. And uh, it's clear that they are investing a tremendous amount into the hardware of the phone. I, th I think when you see a company come out with a custom designed uh, chip for a device, it's, a, it's an indication that they are definitely committed to the platform and, and committed to the, to the device. And now they have a lot more uh, bet on that device than just the, the device itself. They've got a whole uh, you know, you know, chip uh, business that uh, is built upon that, the success of that device too. So there's a lot now riding on the, on the Pixel. Uh, they custom designed this chip really to uh, to take advantage of uh, all the things as I as we noted earlier all the things that they're doing with Google Assist and artificial intelligence and and trying to really uh, take this uh, device to the next level. You saw some of those announcements as well at at the Pixel launch. They talked about the uh, Direct My Call, which is uh, you know what you can use when you call one of these one eight hundred numbers and you've forgotten which option you want by the time the recording gets to the end of all of the options it will show you your options right on the screen they've got a uh, a way that will tell you current hold times of 1-800 numbers uh, and help you uh, better plan and then a, a service called hold for me which will essentially alert you when it's time to get back on the line and you uh, you've got picked up i was actually at the airport this week and I heard a, a woman say she'd been on a call for on hold for over an hour and a half with one of the airline customer uh, service pl platforms and, and lines waiting to, to get a live agent. So something like hold for me might be a, a very worthwhile feature and the type of setting. So you're, you're seeing them uh, invest in 
services that are going to require uh, really integrated uh, experience, integrated hardware. And so uh, you've got a, you know, a commitment here. We also saw them uh, announce the uh, ability to uh, uh, essentially get a guaranteed upgrade every two years. They debuted what they're calling the Pixel Pass plan. And they've got a couple of options, one starting at, at $45, which will get you the Pixel 6 and an upgrade in two years. It'll also give you storage on uh, Google One and uh, YouTube Premium and a number of other features. So they're kind of moving towards a bundled uh, approach to try to take advantage of all the, the properties that they have. So pretty big announcements uh, this week from, uh, from Google as well. I think a lot of comparisons and contrasts to what we've been seeing from Apple. So certainly on the uh, on the comparison front, you've got this Pixel Pass, which has elements of an Apple One-like subscription in that it's a bundle of subscription services, certainly a different mix of services being offered, but uh, also some overlap there in terms of... Uh, a bundled uh, music service and uh, enhanced uh, uh, warranty uh, services, the upgrade option. Uh, as with Apple, a lot of discussion about uh, the value of custom silicon, uh, which is, of course, something Apple first explored many years ago, usually something that companies embark on once they, rele once they reach a certain level of scale. Uh, in the business. And of course, the pixel business has never really been uh, a very large scale business compared to uh, certainly the market leaders, uh, Apple and Samsung. So uh, definitely, uh, Sean, the, not, not only the commitment to produce this chip, but this idea that they're going to promise that you can upgrade every two years implies that they're going to you know, be here for, for some time to come. Um, on the other hand, uh, some real differences, I think, uh, in terms of the approach that Google is taking with Tensor, uh, certainly versus what we saw uh, from Apple this week. Now, you're talking about two different kinds of devices. Google is putting this into a phone, whereas Apple put this chip into a, a PC. So you're going to expect different kinds of, of functionality. But... Uh, look at what Google is using the processing capabilities of this thing for. Uh, they showed off some pretty impressive uh, photo capabilities, for example, uh, where a very, very advanced use of a magic eraser feature where you can just wipe out things in the photo that you, you want to remove from the photo. Uh, they showed how they could do this processing in high definition uh, video to make it, it look a lot better. They showed off real-time translation. They had Marie Kondo as, as a guest and uh, in, engaged in a little back and forth uh, translating in real time uh, from, uh, from Japanese. So the point is that a lot of these are real consumer-focused features. And uh, it's not that Apple hasn't done cool things on the iPhone with their custom silicon. Uh, but in general, Google has been, I think, a little more aggressive on, on this front uh, in the smartphone. And I would also argue that you know, Apple has led uh, their AI-driven initiatives uh, on, the, uh, on the iPhone 
whereas you know computers are more productivity tools, uh, and so it kind of makes sense that you know you're going to take this processor and you're going to uh, the M1 Pro and, and Max and use it for productivity tasks. But it also kind of raises the question: What is next for Apple? Right? You know, uh, you're seeing these advanced applications that are kind of changing the game a little bit. Uh, and here, Apple is taking its processing strength at this point and using it for really a valuable part of their user base, but ultimately a small part of their user base. So, so how do they either bring these improvements, circle them back to the phone, uh, or you know, kind of uh, re reimagine the computing experience uh, a little bit more to reflect this kind of anticipatory intelligence, this, uh, uh, this functionality that where, where average people, right, can, can achieve these kinds of results without having to have access to these super sophisticated, uh, very expensive, highly specialized applications uh, that the M1 Max uh, really, really assisted in which they showed off uh, during during their presentation. So, so that's kind of how I saw the battle lines get redrawn a little bit uh, this time. Uh, it was also kind of fascinating to hear Google talk about how you know they've wanted to do this for years and years, and it's held them back. Uh, and uh, uh, and and you know now it, it felt as if they're the the, the chains are off. Uh, and so if they really can't, you know, pick up the volume a little bit uh, in this release, it kind of raises the question, well, what's holding you back now, right? You, you talked about how your, your former chip partner, where they never, of course, said the name, but it was Qualcomm, you know, was holding us back for years. Uh, so, okay, great. You know, now you've gotten that, that monkey off your back, as you, as you mentioned several times. You know, let, let's see you explode uh, in in uh, in unit volume. Of course, it's not quite that simple, and uh, you know, it just doesn't have to do with the product. But uh, but we'll see if they can make it happen any better with this uh, with this new messaging. Well, and I I think that what Google is saying is that it isn't just a hardware problem anymore. It's mm -hmm. now a software problem, and they really needed customized hardware to deliver that software experience to take advantage of, uh, you know, AI and, and uh, other things that they're trying to integrate into that, that system. So I think a big question that I have for Google is, do we start to see them use this custom silicon in other product categories? We've obviously seen Apple use the M1 across a, a wider swath of products. And, and there too, it's likely that uh, we haven't seen the end of uh, of that, that they'll probably start to show up more. You know, part of this is once you've designed this, uh, you know, custom SOC, then you really can take advantage of it by scaling it across a, a wider portfolio of products. It isn't quite uh, as if you were also doing the, the fabrication because then you would really want to be able to, to keep capacity uh, utilization rates high and you'd want to be producing a lot of these and, and using them in a lot of places. But still, I, I think there will be a desire to to uh, grow the market. And because it's a custom designed SOC only for them, the only way to grow the market is to enter into new product categories. So 
you know, Ross, where do you think we go with this? Tablets seem like a, a natural place. Do we start to see them, get, you know, get more uh, deep into the hardware category to take advantage of, of this? We've seen them in, you know, in the last decade really kind of come in and out of the hardware category. Uh, it seems like they're committed and then they're not so committed, then they're committed again, then they, then they kind of come back. But do we think that we might see them uh, commit to more categories in order to take advantage of this? Well, I, I think with Chromebooks, right, they're definitely seeing a lot of momentum there. Uh, I think part of the issue for them there is that there's really two major markets. I mean, there's a, certainly a consumer market, but in terms of the uh, you know, large-scale sales, the two markets are education uh, and enterprise. And uh, certainly on enterprise, uh, they don't really have an enterprise sales force, right? They don't really have great credibility there, even though they like telling the security story. So that's why I think you've seen them uh, build their ties with HP, uh, with, uh, with Lenovo, uh, in in the uh, in the Chromebook space because I think that's they see that as the best way for them to uh, to to attack that that enterprise market. Uh, would it matter? Does would it help if those um, those computers had tensor chips? Well, again, you know, from what they were talking about as the strengths of the chips, it's you know, much as again with the M1, it's not really clear. Um, how much you know this kind of beefed-up AI uh, capability helps what is essentially a, a productivity uh, device? Um, you know, I, I doubt that they would. You know, they're I, they're not going to really get into the the PC space proper. Uh, so that is really their closest PC space. I could I could see them going in two other directions. I could see them scaling this down uh, and trying to get into the watch space or or you know, beefing up their smart speakers uh, might, might be another place for them to go. But actually, I, you know, another big difference between Google and Apple uh, is that Google is, of course, in the cloud uh, hosting space. And I could uh, very much see them uh, using this to uh, compete with the Graviton uh, ARM-based chips that, that Amazon offers uh, as, as an AWS uh, service. You know, maybe, maybe Apple starts building M1-based cloud servers too for their own purposes, uh, but uh, but it would certainly you know make sense for uh, for for Google given the amount of AI and ML-based processing that uh, that customers use in the cloud. I think you make a great point, Ross, and and actually I could easily see uh, Apple moving into that that space. They already obviously are active in that space with their consumer facing products. Um, and you could easily imagine this being another tool in their broader service portfolio that they're trying to offer customers. So uh, more to come there. In our final story of the week, we thought we would hit on NVIDIA's GeForce Now announcements. This of course is their cloud-based gaming service. And uh, we're seeing a significant upgrade to uh, GeForce Now. We already started earlier this year to see it move and become embedded natively into television. So they were they were working to, to uh, I would say, broaden their 
their market position, and now we're seeing them uh, really uh, seek to upgrade their cloud gaming service. Yeah, this is uh, you know just ta talking about the cloud and improving the processing capability in the cloud. Uh, one of the things that NVIDIA led with on this announcement uh, was essentially this new uh, computing cluster that is, uh, is driving this new version of, of the service, uh, which they're calling the SuperPod. Uh, it's uh, stuffed with uh, all of these um, uh, high-end uh, high uh, uh, GPUs, and it can, uh, they're, they're calling it the the most powerful gaming supercomputer uh, ever built. Uh, and so what it does is it offloads the, uh, it, it runs the, you know, the games in the cloud and it sends you the, uh, the images of those games, the video of that gameplay that you respond with interactively with the controller on the, uh, on, on the local client, uh, which can be, just about anything uh, that can run video or has access to a browser. Uh, any PC, regardless of its uh, capability, uh, a Mac, uh, Chromebook, uh, NVIDIA also has its own Shield TV product, which is kind of an Android TV product. It, it, it runs on that. And so uh, really this is an upgrade in terms of the potential quality of the game. Claim they can now uh, create an online, a streaming game experience that is uh, where, where the graphics are on par uh, with the RTX 3080, which is their highest end uh, gaming chip. Uh, and perhaps even more importantly, they have uh, really lowered the latency, which is the Achilles heel of, uh, of, of streaming gaming services, down to a point where they say it is now comparable uh, to a local gaming experience. So you've got these 4K games being rendered at uh, 1440 uh, you know, pixel uh, line resolution. So very, very high resolution uh, and uh, you know, great, great gaming effects at, at low latency. Uh, so you know, the one thing about GeForce Now is that uh, somewhat like uh, some other services, you have to buy uh, the game. You know, you can buy it on Steam. You can buy a retail package of it, uh, and then this allows you to play the game online. Uh, so, you know, there are some free-to-play games, uh, and Nvidia does offer a free tier of GeForce Now, uh, which offers limited gameplay. Uh, but uh, you know, with the with this new uh, offering, they have changed the pricing structure a little bit. So this new premium offering will now be, uh, I think the pricing is like $99 for six months of access. And then they will have a 1080p uh, version of it that offers slightly less playing time online for uh, $49 for six months. That works out to about $9 a month. And then you've got um, the, uh, you've, you've got the free tier, you know, which I think just has maybe like an hour uh, or so of gameplay, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, you know not not everyone has a top of the line uh, gaming PC, and even if you could afford one, uh, it can sometimes be a hassle to configure them and, and keep them up to date. Uh, so for you know if if you want the best that uh, PC gaming 
has to offer, or you, you maybe like travel a lot, you know, and you want to be able to access it uh, on the go. Uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very strong offering. So I also uh, wrote this week for ZDNet about how, you know, as I mentioned earlier, for all this incredible performance that the new MacBook Pros offer, the Mac really doesn't have a lot of AAA gaming titles. So uh, you, could, you could purchase this powerhouse computer uh, but still not have access to these gaming titles. So uh, NVIDIA, uh, the, the GeForce Now service uh, could, could be a good fit for, for buyers of those uh, devices who want to play uh, premium titles, even though the hardware could certainly accommodate it natively. Unfortunately, it's just not available for the Mac. Yeah, so a lot uh, happening there. And again, an, another example of a company that uh, is committed to this environment, it, it, it appears. Um, I can't help but wonder who uh, is going to need the high-performance RTX 3080 membership option because they're playing eight-plus-hour session lengths. <laughs> so, Good option for the independently wealthy, uh, for sure. Yeah. Have, have the time and the money, so... Yeah, hopefully, yeah. well, and hopefully none of my kids want to have uh, the uh, <laughs> RTX 3080 option because they have uh, gaming sessions that are in excess of eight hours. Um, so. I, I think I think that's over the course of a month, so you know, at least it's not all in all in a given session. So. Yeah, well, my kids yeah. will try to knock that out in a single day. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, probably a great place to end this week's episode of TechSpansive. Again, I'm Sean Dubravac. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubravac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin.